from 18 to 38 or 40 or 45 or whenever you got in the military, that's who you've been. And now you get out and you're like, well, who am I? And what do I truly like to do and want to do with my life till my life ends? What am I, what am I going to do? So that, that was huge for me. I, I had a really hard time. I mean, I was able to get a job fortunately very quickly, but a job and identity wasn't the same. It wasn't one in one. It was very much like I went to work to get a paycheck so I could support my family. Welcome to the 10 podcast hosted by me, Danielle Gray, founder of Train Like a Gymnast. This show aims to help formerly competitive athletes succeed at life after organized sport. Tenno serves a community of recovering perfectionists and high achievers who want to become their best selves through discussions about mental health, personal development, movement education, setting expectations and boundaries, as well as limiting beliefs. If you're hearing this message, that means there's still space left in our 2023 Bali retreat. All you got to do is go to trainlikeagymnast.com slash retreat to learn more. All of that information will be in the show notes and we hope to see you there. Welcome, Jason to the Tano podcast. I'm happy you were able to make this happen. And I'm glad that I was able to reach out because you're, you're blowing up right now. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. It's kind of crazy, but yeah, no, I'm excited to be on. I'm excited you, you, you reached out. Yeah. Yeah. So in the beginnings, um, in this season, I'm doing a this or that. It's kind of like a rapid fire. You have to choose one very basic, simple, just like whatever icebreaker conversation starters. So let's start off with football or baseball, football, dogs or cats. Dogs. Beach or lake? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I live right by the beach. I got to go beach. Okay. Instagram or TikTok? Uh, Instagram. And then pajamas or no pajamas when sleeping? Oh, <laughs> pajamas. I, I, I like my comfy pajamas, so yeah. <laughs> okay, Okay. cool. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Jason, um, let's, let's hear what he has to say about himself. So let's give everybody like a little background about who you are and what your history is. Yeah, so grew up in the local area here in Virginia Beach area. We're very fortunate to go to college on a football scholarship and also an ROTC scholarship. So at the time when I signed up for the ROTC part of the scholarship, which is Reserve Officer Training Corps, it signed me up for four years of active duty military service after I graduated college. So went to college, you know, this is 1999, uh, 2000 timeframe, so before 9-11 happened. So thought military service would be a little bit of a different, you know, path. Right. Then, yeah. Then 9-11 happened my sophomore year. Uh, and that kind of changed the way my like my post-college life was going to look like. So played all four years of football in college, ran a little bit of track, did all the things uh, in college and then graduated May of 04. And in October of 04, I was already in Iraq for the first time, um, you know, about six, seven months later. Um, and then deployed was in the military from 2004 to 2011, uh, deployed three times in that time frame. Each was one year. It was 2004, 2005, came back for eight months, 2006 to 2007, came back for a year, 2008 to 2009, came back, became an aide to a two-star general, left the military. <laughs> so wow. yeah, that's my very succinct military service uh, summary there. But uh, did, did, it was all in Iraq um, and did you know, the, the, those three tours. Then after I got out of the military, I joined a defense contracting company that kind of did similar type of stuff, but it was on the contract side, uh, working for the military. And then as time kind of grew along, met my ex-wife now, my mother, my daughter. Uh, we had our daughter in 2014. Um, she's 
going to be eight next this month, actually, September now, September 21st is her birthday. Um, so yeah, had our daughter. So, uh, you know, took on a role as a father during that time and kind of through my military service, I was struggling with a lot of mental health issues, uh, you know, PTSD, anxiety, depression, all those kind of different things. And it wasn't until after my separation from my ex that really I got the kick in the butt to, you know, make a change in my life and reach out for help and try to move along. And so started working on myself, started finding myself in doing ultra running events, like, you know, 24 hour, hundred mile type things and having a good time with that. And then, um, I got to a point where I felt like it was my responsibility to turn around and reach back and help those that I, I can help in providing some mental health advocacy for veterans and, and specifically veterans and men in general. So that's kind of where I'm at doing the ultra running thing uh, and then trying to raise awareness for men's mental health and, and veterans mental health. That's incredible. I kind of want to segue into that, the men's mental health and just kind of helping, especially vets. Where did you get that courage to start speaking about uh, men's mental health? Because that is kind of a fairly new discussion in society. So after my separation from my ex back, you know, I think this was 2016 timeframe, our relationship was rocky and she, she, she knew that I was struggling, but I was very, you know, the stigma of reaching out and trying to find help and talk about my feelings and emotions and all those kind of different things just didn't sit well, I guess. And, and coming from the military background and being kind of a man, you're, you know, it's almost, you're kind of taught, suck it up and drive on and you'll, you'll figure it out. And, um, I kind of hit rock bottom after the separation with my ex. And I just remember being in a kind of a days in hotel room and really uh, giving suicide a really hard, you know, thought. And fortunately I didn't do it. And the next morning I showed up at my mom and dad's house. They live here in the local area, you know, and I just remember kind of collapsing and being like, I need help. I need, you know, I finally, you know, it took the rock bottom to finally get me to reach out. So we got on the phone with, you know, the VA, the Department of Veterans Affairs, and we have a local VA hospital. They got me in to see a therapist. And so I got in and started. At first, it was very hard for me to talk about things. You know, I was very much in receive mode more than give mode uh, when it came to communicating with the therapist. And then over time, I just found myself opening up a little bit more and more. I, I joked that it was almost like the that episode of The Office, if you're an Office fan, where Toby gets Michael to start opening up about feelings in the break room. I feel like that's what happened to me. I just started saying stuff. Next thing I know, I'm crying. Like, what, what's going on? And so, I, you know, I just started opening up. And the more I started talking about things, the more me and the, my therapist could start, you know, setting. It was almost like being in sports again and, and being an athlete. It was we started setting many goals for ourselves over like the, the, the weeks and months uh, saying, okay, this is where we want to be at. This is what kind of what we want to start working on. This is what I want you to read. This is what I want you to research on. There's all kinds of different things there. And so the more I found myself doing that, the more I found myself kind of starting to open up more and more to family members at first. And then it was kind of, you know, telling my mom and my dad kind of, this is what I was dealing with. And this is, this is what I'm thinking. And this is, you know, what I'm feeling. Um, you okay to share what those specifics are? Because if someone's like, oh, he's not thinking what I'm thinking. When when you hear other people having the same thoughts as yours, it helps you realize those aren't your thoughts or the thought of the mind. So like, what were the things that you were dealing with specifically? And what what were you thinking about and of? Yeah, I think for me, it was at the time I was struggling with just 
my my ability to control emotions and and be thoughtful and empathetic to people and and understand where they were coming from. This is something I str- I struggle with today. Still looking back at it, when my wife was pregnant with with my daughter Camilla, I just remember be still being kind of disconnected. I just wasn't present there with her and empathetic towards her needs and and just really just part of the pregnancy process there. And and you know I remember opening up with my parents about that and other things just starting to have the conversation. And I think for my family too, it was important because my family, we kind of never shared emotions that much either. My mom tends to be the more, more emotional one, but my father was definitely like the, the, the manly man, the guy that, you know, comes over, kicks you in the butt and says, get up, drive right. on kind of thing. Was he military and, um, as well or? No, 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 oh, no. So I was, was kind of the, I had military family members. Um, mm-hmm. My great uncle was in World War II. Like stuff like that, but um, mm-hmm. but I was kind of the first one in my family that took this route. Uh, that was immediate family member. Got it. So, yeah, I mean, I just remember kind of starting to finally open up, and and then we started having more thoughtful discussions amongst the family once I started kind of talking about things and opening up. So that was interesting to see how everybody felt a little bit more comfortable talking about those kind of things and saying "I love you." And my gosh, I remember. My dad still to this day struggles a little bit because he goes in for like, he goes in for a handshake and I'm like, give me a hug, damn it. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, I mean, just things like that. And then you find yourself, you know, very, you get comfortable there. And then I started talking about it with my close friends and everything and saying, you know, this is, this again, this is what I'm feeling. This is, you know, how things have impacted me in the past and and those kind of different things. And, um, and then over time, I remember just sitting to my like sitting by myself like about to make an Instagram post and then just thinking, you know what? I feel like it's a facade. I feel like everybody's seeing the best side of me all the time. Nobody gets a chance to know the real you. So, you know what? I'm just going to lay it all out there in a post. And I posted, you know, you know, kind of just my face and just said, "Hey, look, this guy's been divorced twice. He's dealt with PTSD, depression, anxiety, just all the, like, I just laid it out there, alcoholism, you know, all these kind of different things. And, um, and, 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 you know, you don't know what you're going to get, obviously, but it was, it was pretty well received. And then you start getting the direct messages from other people saying, this post really helped me out. Like I was able to reach out because you, you were able to be you know open about your uh, experiences and w- what you've been through. And, right. um, and I think that that was kind of the start to me, just being very open and honest about who I am and where what, what, where I come from. And that's helped me in all facets. I mean, honestly, just as yeah. being a, a man, a dad, a family member, or, you know, relationships with friends and potential relationships with women and things like that. Right. And I'm curious how all of this impacts you or inspires you as a father based on your experiences and the things that you've learned and and had to deal with how how are you going to kind of carry this on and teach camilla you said right yeah yeah camilla yeah yeah. so um so yeah it's very important for me to be open and have that direct line of communication with her and 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 her to feel comfortable with being able to talk to me about things. And so, again, I remember growing up and it was hard to talk about feelings. So I, I didn't want that necessarily for my daughter. So I kind of try to apply it as much as I can with her. We have daddy daughter date night every Friday night uh, where we go to dinner and that's an opportunity for us to connect and try to open up and talk about things that are going on in her life. 
Um, and she's got that direct line that you, she can say, hey, you know, daddy, this in right now it's kind of small things, obviously. She's she's in third grade. So it's, you know, Billy stole my pencil kind of stuff. But, uh, <laughs> right, right. But but, you know, over time, I want that to grow into something that when more serious things do come along in her life, that she can reach out and talk to me. And then right. we obviously try. Now. Yeah, we've got to start now. And so, and then she's taught me so much more than I could ever teach her. I think from just the empathy and feelings and, and, and being patient, um, all those kind of different things. I, I really learned from her because with a child, patience is definitely a virtue. Um, and so, you know, she taught, she really has helped me kind of practice those things, uh, the, you know, being empathetic and being patient and, and, and talking about emotions because I have such a close relationship with her and we do so many things together. I mean, a couple months ago, we went and hiked Old Rag yeah. Mountain, climbed a mountain together. So that's 10, that, that was basically six to 10 hours in a car and hiking a, hiking a mountain where right. we got a chance to talk and sit on the a side of a mountain with a beautiful view and, you know, mm. talk about life and how lucky we are to have this opportunity and those kind of things. Yeah. I love that. She's taught you, but you want to be able to teach her those same things and that she can feel comfortable and open in a safe space talking about whatever's going on, you know, and I, and I think that's very important with especially women uh, today who, who might not have had that uh, relationship with their fathers or, and feeling like, okay, with men, I can't share this, or it feels like the only way that I can have, XYZ is because of this. Um, So I know you posted, I think it was yesterday, you posted something about the fatherless homes and um, how people are affected by that. So you had a father figure, but there was like a disconnect or like a boundary kind of between. So um, you're doing everything in your power to not have those things happen to your daughter. Um, Yeah. I guess, where did that inspiration come from to get curious about that? I think uh, coming out of the, coming out of my divorce and and, and then being, you know, having to rely on co-parenting, the one thing I kept telling myself is I, you know, I have to be a present father and prioritize my child over everything else and make sure that when I get time with her, when I, you know, cause we split, you know, close to 50, 50, when I get time with her, that time is precious to me. Like that's, that's the time I need to spend with her and, and, and not be on my phone or, or working or doing all those things to set that time aside for her and, uh, and really work towards that. And then it's been interesting to get messages from people talking about, well, how did you deal with the divorce and how did you deal with co-parenting and, and trying to do and work through that? And, and then, you know, you start really looking at, things that are happening in our society today and you look at the prison system and you look at violent crimes and you look at a lot of different things that are going on. And if you really start like doing the, the, the backwards kind of look at things, a lot of these incidents and people come from fatherless homes or from homes with deadbeat dads. And um, I think just having that male presence in, a, in your life, if it's a good positive male presence, let me just, I got a lot of messages about that, about being, you know, deadbeat dads and things like that. I don't, I'm not saying you just have a man in your life to have a man in your life. I, it should be a positive male role model that, that can be someone that they can look up to and emulate and get guidance from, not just anybody. So, you know, I joke all, I joke, but I say all the time that, you know, you get the father title on the birth certificate, 
but it takes a good, real, positive man to be a dad. And when you start talking about men's mental health, uh, it kind of falls in line with being a dad and, and the same, a healthy father that's got, you know, good values and can be a role model for your kids. I think if you're working on your mental health and you're, 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 you're really working on yourself and you love yourself, that's going to trickle down to your family and, and ultimately your children and everything else and everyone around you. So I think it just went hand in hand for me. Like you start talking about men's mental health and father and, you know, me identifying as a father, it, it just goes right there, right next to it for me. So right. that's kind of what led me to that. Yeah. To, uh, for people who are curious, like, okay, maybe they know somebody um, who is struggling with mental health. I mean, actually a year ago today was when I had my suicidal ideation, which I, I didn't even realize that I was like, oh yeah, that is the same. We're going to talk about that. Um, that I had my parents come and stay with me and make sure that I was not going to kill myself. So yeah. If, if people are curious whether they're experiencing themselves or they know somebody who is struggling with mental health or they're overwhelmed or they're not quite asking for help yet, um, how can people support men, women, vets with their mental health until that person is ready to receive help? Yeah, I think just uh, be an open ear. I think a lot of times we start trying to solve problems uh, instead of just listening in some cases and being kind of just the, the ear or the shoulder uh, for someone to, to cry on or listen to. Instead, I think in, in, a, in a, a lot of cases, you know, when you talk to people as they're talking to you and I've, I'm, I've been guilty of this as well, as they're talking to me about what they're going through, I'm kind of formulating like, oh, well, if they just did this, this, and this, maybe that, that would help them. When in a lot of cases, people don't need you to say or do anything. They just need you to listen. And then, you know, when people are ready to kind of ask for some level of guidance or, or some level of help, I think, I think it'll be there. But, but definitely just reaching out uh, for vet, you know, a lot of times for veterans and, and, and men, uh, I, I feel like we get um, a sense of isolation sometimes when we're having to deal with some of the issues that we've got and you feel almost alone in, in your swamp, you know, the, of, of different things that are going on in your life. And sometimes it's just nice to get a text or a call or something. A lot of people don't like phone calls anymore, but a text that just says, Hey, just thinking about you, just checking in. That's really all it takes for somebody to be like, man, there's other people out there that are invested in my well-being, And that could be just enough for them to finally reach out or open up. Um, so, you know, it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be a push out the door. It can just be gentle, like, Hey, just thinking about you. Um, and, and, and just other people knowing they're not alone is goes such a long way. I mean, and I think that's just where we all can start is just being good people and reaching out and checking on, you know, those that we love and care about. Absolutely. I agree with that. And that's something that I'm getting better at as well. It's the, the trying to fix and you're like, wait a second, when I'm in this situation, I don't want people to tell me what to do because I know what to do. I just want someone to just empathize, not sympathy, but empathize yeah, and exactly. just absorb. Yeah. Uh, it's, but I think, I think we're starting to learn that. So I kind of want to backtrack a little bit and then, and then make a circle back to this, but going back to, uh, the athletic and the military background, I want to know what did sports teach you and not teach you? 
Um, so sports definitely taught me, uh, you know, playing football, I played football and baseball. I played team sports primarily. I didn't do a lot of individual type sports. So in team sports, you know, especially football, I, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's such a sport that if you watch football at all, you don't need to give it a play. If one person doesn't do their job, it, you know, the whole, the whole play fails, well, you know, and, and the you team. You were going to say something and, else, weren't you? Yeah, 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 I was. You can, this is what this is totally no, right. no, it's no, <laughs> but no, it's all good. But uh, but yeah. So I mean, if one person doesn't do their job, it creates a gap that ultimately can cause the, that play or the team to fail. And so your reliance on those to the left and to the right of you to do their jobs and to make sure that they're taken care of, so you, you know you can do your job. I think that was the big learning experience for me as I continued to grow and go into the military. That and and just the leadership aspect of it all. Um, I was very fortunate in like high school to be, you know, the, uh, the quarterback and the captain of the football team and all that fun stuff. So it very, it taught me a lot of just innate leadership skills. I mean, you, things you just don't learn and, and go, you know, learn from a book and go apply. It, it was, you know, things that you were putting into action on a regular basis. And so when I went into the military, you know, and became an officer and had to lead, you know, soldiers into combat, it was a lot of those leadership skills that I learned from team sports directly applied to leading people, making sure that they had the resources they needed. And, and if there were any obstacles that were in front of them that I, you know, I'm, that I removed those obstacles so they can do their jobs and be successful. And, and then ultimately in the military, the military is the ultimate example of you have to rely on the person to the left and to the right of you because that's life or death in a lot of cases. So taking care of them and, and, and making sure that, you know, they take care of you, that bond, that's huge in the military. And you start learning those kind of bonds in team sports. I'm still friends today with a lot of the people I played football with in college and, and in high school, just from those kind of bonds that you created in the locker room and on the, on the playing field. So, I mean, those were the big things I think I really learned from, from sport. And then what didn't, what did I had not learn? Um, mm -hmm. Gosh, that's the hard one. I think, I don't think yeah, I've ever really thought of that. That's one of the hardest questions I give people because you realize like, okay, that's your identity and you have that track for so much of your life. But then you realize, wait, I don't know how to do this or I didn't learn this. And, and then you have to somehow learn on your own or through a different experience. So, so yeah. I, maybe, maybe it was just dealing with like the, you know, um, emotions of different things, like, like how to deal with ebbs and flows of emotions and, 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 and what you're feeling. Cause you don't talk about that on, uh, you know, a lot. It's, it's very much you're on to the next play on to the next game. You look back at the mistakes you made, obviously to try to correct the mistakes, but you don't, you don't really look at other, the other aspects of, mm -hmm. of life, I guess, as you're moving, moving through right. that process. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it was something about, you know, not really, dealing with, you know, the emotions and, and, and things of that sort, as you kind of continue through, is suck it up and drive on. Right. Um, Even though everyone on the team is experiencing yeah. that as well. You know, they're, they're like, everybody has ebbs and flows or has an off day. And like, a lot of times I'll hear for those questions, like, it, it taught me integrity and hard work and dedication, but it didn't teach me um, organization because then when I left the sport, like I had no idea without somebody like telling me what to do, how, how to format or structure my life or the inability to talk about my feelings and emotions, because it, 
it's just, it's, it's so crazy. Cause you, you, you think about like, yeah, I learned this, 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 but then when you realize all of the gaps that still, I mean, to an extent are in, in that sport, if you are stronger mentally, you're going to be a better player or a better yeah. athlete, no matter what. So it just gives an opportunity for any coaches listening to, to start discussing that with, with your athletes. So yeah. by the time you left sport and the military and kind of made that transition to normal person slash civilian life, um, yeah. what was that transition like and any identity shift that came yeah. So you, you, you nailed it with the word, it was an identity crisis, like mm. in a lot of ways, because, and, and I think this happens to a lot of folks that leave the military, uh, especially when you graduate high school and you go immediately into the military and then you serve 20 years in the military. Uh, you know, I'll just use that example. Your whole identity has been wrapped around being a soldier or being a Marine or being, you know, a sailor or whatever, whatever branch you're coming from. And then you get out and then you go back home to wherever you're from, you know, whether it be, you know, Virginia Beach, where I'm from, or Iowa. And then you can start to feel very isolated because those around you didn't have those kind of shared experiences. And, you know, being able to relate to you on that level, you start to feel you know, isolated and alone. And, and, and then, you know, that can cause a real identity crisis. Then you're stu stuck from 18 to 38 or 40 or 45 or whenever you got in the military. That's who you've been. And now you get out and you're like, well, who am I? And what what do I truly like to do and want to do with my life for the next, you know, till my life ends, what am I, what am I going to do? Um, so that, that was huge for me. I, I had a really hard time. I mean, I was able to get a job fortunately very quickly, but you know, job and identity wasn't the same. It wasn't one in one. It was very much like I went to work to get a paycheck so I could support my family. But then when I went home, it was kind of like the Will Ferrell, like, what, what do I do with my hands kind of thing? Like, I don't know, who I really am. And I, when I looked at myself in the mirror, that was the hard part. It was, do I even love what I'm looking back at? Like, you know, do, is, is it the person I want to be or is it just a facade? And I felt like for me, I was very much faking it to continue to have people's adoration and make sure people loved me. But at the end of the day, I wasn't loving myself. And that's shown through with my relationship with my ex. And after we split, I remember finally having, you know, those moments where I started gaining some self-awareness and started kind of falling in love with the person I was becoming and I was becoming happier and it was showing that energy was coming off to other people. And I remember my ex walking up to me after we were doing exchange for Camilla one, one day when I was picking her up from my ex and she, she just asked me, she was like, why couldn't I have made you this happy in the relationship? And at the time I probably didn't have the best answer, but then, you know, it's always one of those things where you wish you would have said something, but looking back at it, I think the, the answer that I, I had for her, I probably should have told her then, but I eventually did was nobody could have made me happy at that point. Like if I couldn't have made myself happy and loved myself, there's nothing you or anybody else could have done at the end of the day to provide, to make me happy in, in that moment. So. I think that was the big thing for me leaving the military is just that identity crisis and then just trying to find myself and love myself for who I was and what I was, what I was bringing to the table instead of just trying to fake it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That's, that's, I, I put a little marker on that, on that part because it, it's truly, it's, 
not necessarily because of someone else and it's not anything that they could have done. It's really, honestly, it has to come from yourself. And whether you hear something that makes you think a different way or you have a life experience, you know, like gain life points is kind of how I, I look at it, like little coins um, for experiences in life. And, and those things are what help you build that self-awareness. So you have to go experience life and have new things. You can't just stay stagnant because nothing's going to change. Like nothing changes if nothing changes. That's what I yeah. say. So where did you think you would be at this point in your life, like at this age, when you were in your early twenties, let's say, like, what oh, did you man. think life would be? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like my, my focus is so much different than what it was in the twenties. When I was in my twenties, it was, I think it was so much a materialistic mindset. Like it was like, got to make the money and have the cars and the house and all these kind of different things. So, you know, I probably at 40, I envision myself being like some millionaire living somewhere with all this kind of different like material things that, that would make me happy. And now it's very much, I'm, I'm, I'm a memories over material kind of person now. Like it's, trust me, I, I still do the financial responsibility, financially responsible <laughs> stuff. Yeah, and all that. Yeah. I'm not out there just tossing money out. <laughs> no, you spend on experiences, not on material things. That's yeah, yeah. That's what I say. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, and it's and it doesn't even have to be the expensive stuff. Like I've I've gotten the opportunity to do some fun things. I mean, I've gotten the chance to go to the Amazon jungle and live in the Amazon jungle with a you know a tribe in, in a community for ten days. I've gotten the chance to go to Nepal and live in a community there for ten days and, and get the chance to see Mount Everest. I didn't climb Mount Everest. And then last September, I got a chance to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa and have that experience for like 10 or 15 days. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I love having those different experiences because each of one of them have taught me something different about myself. I mean, the Amazon jungle experience for me was, first of all, like 10 days without this thing, like you're in, you're in a, you're on the, you're, you're in the jungle living with a tribe. And I just remember where really the switch really flipped for me with the, the, the materialistic things was I was talking to a woman that was part of the, the bigger community and she had a family, a couple kids and you go into her little hut and she's got, you know, bare minimum. And we asked her if there's anything that could make your life easier or what, what would you really, what do you want? Like you were very thing focused at that point. And she looked at us and was like, I got everything I need. And it was just so eye opening to look around you and say, she has everything she needs. And what I think she really meant by that and something that I think we can apply just in our, all of our lives at this point is she had a supportive community. Like she had people around her. The tribe took care of them, took care of each other. They took care of themselves. That community grew together versus each one being an individual. And so she could rely on the person to the left and the right of her in that community if she needed something that they were, they were going to take care of her. And so, you know, I think that that was just a huge turning point for me in the Amazon when we talked to her. And then I remember you talk about sports and, and the way sports can connect with soccer is, you know, or football, um, depending on where you're from, uh, is, is a huge sport, especially down there. I mean, we went in that little community. They had a field in the middle of all the houses and they had some makeshift goal, goals that were just like three pieces of wood, you know, nailed together into the ground. And that was their soccer goal. And they, you know, and they played every day. And I remember, you know, there was one day you're in the rainforest. It starts to rain. You can hear the thunder in the background and the little kids 
pull you on the soccer field and you know the gringos playing soccer with and they kicked my ass but uh, <laughs> but you know playing soccer with these kids and i just like it just having that moment where it's like you know you felt just free like it was like yeah. almost a spiritual type moment and that that sports ability, like I couldn't speak really, uh, you know, I could understand a little bit, but I wasn't speaking the same language. But when you're on the field together and you're playing soccer, that like that communication of just knowing where they're going, where I'm supposed to go, all those kind of things, it just was natural. And so, you know, I think that experience just really was was what set me off to like, let's go out and have these amazing experiences over just searching out the material things. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, I mean, you kind of answered the question was how, how did those profound experiences change your perspective on life? So it, it allowed you to start focusing or shifting that focus towards the experience-based living. Versus yeah. And, and, and it, it, it impacted me as a father too. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, when you, when, when you look at it, I mentioned that my daughter and I climbed mm -hmm. uh, like a small, it's a small mountain here in the Virginia <laughs> old rack mountain, but it's, it's a, such, it was such a huge achievement for her. Right. Because I had come off Kilimanjaro, and that's the highest freestanding mountain in the world. Her whole thing was, show, as I've shown her pictures before I climbed it, the mountain's above the clouds. And mm -hmm. she, so her big thing was like, Daddy, are you going to touch the clouds kind of thing? Aww. And and I we made the summit on her birthday. And mm -hmm. so I was able to send back a video of me and uh, a couple of the, the, the folks that had helped me climb saying happy birthday to her and stuff. And, um, and when I came back home, she immediately was like, I want to climb the mountain. So having seen the impact I was having by going out and having these experiences on my own and then yeah. bringing them back home to her, like I seen and seeing how it impacted her and what she wanted to do, like really, uh, yeah, it definitely drove me as a father to want to do the, have those experiences with my daughter instead mm -hmm. of just buying her toys or letting her watch YouTube or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Let's go climb a mountain. Let's go out and like, let's set goals. Like this coming over the next coming couple of years, we've set a goal of climbing the highest point on the, in each state on the East coast, like over the next couple of years. So wow. Mount Rogers is going to be first in Virginia. Um, so we're going to make a weekend of that and then go down to Georgia and just kind of do all the way up through the Northeast. And wow. we'll see, we'll see what happens, but you know, doing those kind of things with her instead of just here's a toy or here's mm -hmm. the, the right. new whatever you want it just it's a different perspective for me and i, I i'm really enjoying it her classmates are going to be doing the tiktok dances and she's gonna be oh, like oh yeah well, i was on a mountain no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah those experiences like when i grew up my mom would would travel we travel together and she would take me to places where in the next academic year i would be learning so like if we're learning about the the missions right we went to mm -hmm. different california missions or if i was going to do world history or you know anything so then we we would go uh we went to europe and did a, did a trip like incredible so i love that because it did create such a foundation for me to grow so i i totally know that's gonna impact her for, for the rest of her life that's um awesome. so with all of sports military life father all of this i'm sure there's some level of like high standards and a little bit of perfectionism, um, kind of an undercurrent. <laughs> That's what bonds us all. It. <laughs> <laughs> so how have those affected your life? Perfectionism and high standards positively and negatively. Yeah. So I did the, 
the high standards, like it, I think perfection and the high standards kind of, for me, I've been able to disassociate a little bit, especially the high standards when it comes to things that I let in my life and how I prioritize things in my life and, and, and who I let around my daughter and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm going to set those standards pretty high and I'm going to stick to them. The perfectionist thing I really struggled with. And, and it was, and it, it, I think what the perfectionism did for me in, in a bad way was that I, I, I was trying to be perfect with so much that when I wasn't, I immediately had, it was self-doubt and I really just was looked down upon myself and I was really hard on myself. And, um, and it could be very, it could have been something very small, but I would let it ruin my day. And it was like, (laughs) this is, this is dumb. Like now looking back, it was like, that was dumb to let something (laughs) like that ruin my entire day, my month, whatever it was going to be just because I didn't get this one little thing. Right. So I've had to learn like, Hey, look, you know, so sometimes you're not going to be in, in fatherhood again has taught me you can't you're not going to be perfect mm-hmm. like i'm i am by far not the perfect father and and i don't think anybody's going to be the perfect parent it's a lot of learning it's a lot of uh going along going along with the flow in some cases with with the situation you're in mm-hmm. um so learning to not be perfect was hard uh for me but 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 i think you have to have that realization and be realistic about your expectations when it comes to to certain aspects of your life that you know you're not going to be perfect and nobody expects you to be perfect in some cases and and if Mm -hmm. if you do have those kind of people around you that are expecting perfection all the time um they're in denial yeah yeah they're in denial (laughs) and you probably should reconsider your friends uh (laughs) because that level of of expectation is just gonna be you know i think it's gonna wear on you over time Um, and so that's what, and I try to apply that to being a father and to my daughter too. I, I I can't expect her to be perfect. She's going to fail. So if I'm demanding perfection all the time, that's just going to set her up for failure. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. So how do we, you know, manage expectations, still set the high standards, like, you know, still want to make sure that when she goes out and she's, she just made the competitive dance team, for instance. Um, so she's having, she had a great time. But we had a long talk about commitment and doing your best. Don't go into anything. And I, I made a post about this the other day. Don't go into anything half-ass. If you're going to do something, do it with your whole ass kind of thing. And make <laughs> sure that you you can, you know, you can make the commitment. So yeah. we had a long talk about that. And, and, you know, again, I don't expect her to be perfect. But, you know, I expect her to honor her commitments and, you know, excel, try to try to you know, work as hard as she can to do the best that she can. Is she so grasping that I'm, concept at her yeah. age? Because everything's everything when you're younger is so much bigger. Like it's yeah. a quarter of your life. And so it's such a big thing. And yeah. you don't necessarily have the life experiences to be like, oh yeah, when that happened, that's when I learned that. So how is she grasping it? How is she, how is she able to? Um. So so my perfectionism probably went trickled down to her a little bit <laughs> through the DNA because mm-hmm. um, you know she does get down on herself if she doesn't do something that's mm-hmm. exact. Like she did gymnastics before, and so you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she, <laughs> she 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 would get very down on herself if she saw like a like she's gonna be eight. She yeah. would see a twelve year old girl do a move, and she would expect to want to be able. To, she would expect to be able to do yeah. that move. And it's like, sweetheart, she's older. She's had more time and practice and all these kind of different things. You can't expect to get it right the first time. 
or mm-hmm. maybe even the second time, you're going to have to work at it before yeah. you can finally get to it. And like, so getting her to grasp that concept has been a process, mm-hmm. but you know, I think she's starting to understand like it takes work. It takes practice. It takes doing things over and over and over again, especially in those kind of things like gymnastics and dance before you really get it to where it's, you know, for lack of better words, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so perfect. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, so that's been a, definitely a process with her and it's helped me to remind myself to right. really like, Hey, look, it's going to take a little bit of work to get at this. You're gonna, you're gonna have your highs and you're gonna have your lows. You're gonna feel like you're on the top of the world one minute and then something's gonna cut you and, and bring you back down to earth. And, and as long as you're continuing to work your hardest at it and, 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 you know, not be lazy and continue to, to just look ahead, good things will happen. Right. Absolutely. So kind of to wrap this all with a nice little bow for people who are listening and or watching, if I get around to editing this <laughs> video, um, what, what pieces of advice, like what are the key takeaways that, that people can get from this episode or listening to you, whether it's men or it's women? One of the messages that, and I probably haven't been really great at it lately of, of putting out there is we all have goals in our lives that we want to achieve. We all, whether it be financially, whether it be in our families, mentally, emotionally, you know, athletics, you know, the physical aspect, losing weight, all those kind of different things. We all have big goals. We all want to lose the 50 pounds. We all want to, you know, change the world in some way or impact the world in some way, or, you know, have a bigger impact in our families and our communities. My, my message would be to create smaller, more achievable goals towards the bigger goal. Um, I think all of us in a lot of cases, and I'll use the physical side, you know, the lose the 50 pounds example, for instance, everybody goes into New Year's wanting to lose 50 pounds. And then after one month, they've lost three pounds and they immediately fall in on themselves and give up in a lot of cases. Well, if you set a goal of, Hey, you know, I want to lose three pounds this month or, you know, four or five pounds this month. And you can achieve those mini goals that ultimately gives you the self-confidence to continue down the path of, you know, the 50 pound weight loss goal. And I had to do the same thing with my own mental health. You know, I had to set those mini goals of this is where I, you know, Mm -hmm. this is what what I want to achieve this week, Mm -hmm. whether it be talking to my mom about something or talking to a friend about something that bothered me. You know, just those little things that you created, you know, a practice for me to finally open up and do, do, do the emotional work and, and, and mental work that I needed to do. Yeah. And um, so everything that we want to do in life, if we can just break those down into more achievable goals and, and really work towards the bigger goal. I think it's going to help us in giving us the self-confidence and the boost we need to continue down the path versus I want to lose 50 pounds. And then if you don't get there in the first month, you're, you know, you view yourself as a, a you know, look down upon yourself and, and, and quit. Um, right. So that's one of the big things for me is it takes time to get to where like even I'm at today and I'm still working on myself right. every single day. So don't expect it to happen very quickly, but mm-hmm. just set those little goals and, you know, achieve them along the way and know that you'll have setbacks. No life happens and 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 we'll get in the way sometimes but if you just keep working towards it you'll eventually get to where you want to be and then then after that what's the next mountaintop where do you want to go next Mm -hmm. i love that it's 
all the things that I say just in different in different <laughs> words. You know, it's like if you're driving to a destination, you're going to have detours, things are going to pop up, the pedestrian. But if you keep driving, you'll eventually get there. So a lot of people just end up making a U-turn and going home. It's like, well, you're never going to get there. <laughs> you, yeah, just, exactly. you just stop and you just turn around. Absolutely. And then those those smaller goals are very important because, you know, when you are in that like complete spiral at the bottom of the pit, sometimes your goal needs to be shower today or yeah. go outside. Like sometimes I'll notice that my lock is still on the door. I'm like, I didn't even have fresh air today. Um, you know, those, those things are sometimes the goals that you need to have. You'd have to take that first step. I had COVID a couple months ago and I'm still fatigued. And so I had to force myself to do a four exercise circuit. It, it was hell. I didn't want to do it. I really didn't. And I almost died, but I forced myself. That was the first step. And then I ended up going to open gym. So whatever, whatever you're going through in your life right now, what are the smaller steps? What is what is the first step that you can force yourself to take so that the rest of the steps become easier? Same thing with like getting a skill, a new skill in gymnastics or whatever sport, um, something that you're trying to learn. The first one is always the hardest because yeah. it's new and you haven't done it or you haven't done it in a while. And then it gets easier. Um, so if people have really in, enjoyed this and want to follow your journey, ask you questions, how can they get a hold of you? Most people now get a hold of me through Instagram. Uh, that's the primary medium I use at this point. And so my Instagram handle is jfloydwood, just the letter J, Floyd Wood. Um, and so people, and I, I have my email uh, attached to that. So I've been getting emails from people just asking questions and, and things of that sort. So they feel free to reach out via email as well. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I welcome discussion. I think one of the things that uh, we need more of in society is open discussion. And, and, and you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want a conversation where everybody agrees with me all the time. Yeah. yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, I think uh, having somebody that has different perspectives on things helps us grow. So if somebody disagrees with me, reach out. I, I would love to hear why you disagree. So, you know, let's, let's talk about it instead of just being dismissive yeah. of others because they don't think the way we think. Oh, that could be a whole other episode. But we won't. <laughs> I thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day and for having this discussion. And I hope that everybody listening got something out of it to apply to their life. We'd love to hear what you thought and we'll see you next time. Did you know you can get a discount at trainlikeagymnast.com just for listening to these episodes? It's true. When you go to checkout, just use the promotion code LISTEN in all caps for a surprise. If you loved everything you heard in this episode, be sure to leave us a review and let us know what you want to hear more of. Until next time, train with purpose.